Good morning. This is Dave Rowland, the Director of Litigation for the Freedom Center of Missouri, sitting in for Gary this morning. We have been talking about Israel. We've been talking about Ukraine. And I have planted a flag saying that it is morally indefensible for anyone to say that we should be providing assistance to Israel in their current conflict against the Hamas terrorist group uh, and potentially the, the Hezbollah terrorist group uh, and at the same time be saying that we should be cutting off aid to Ukraine. Uh, I explained that part of my reasoning on this is that we have been spending uh, hundreds of billions of dollars every year on our defense industry. And the justification for that spending is that the United States needed to be prepared to deal with uh, one of several major geopolitical adversaries. The top of that list for at least 80 years has been the Soviet Union slash Russia. Like, that's why we spend so much on defense, is so that we would be prepared in the event that Russia ever started a war. Uh, in more recent years, China has taken its place as a potential primary geopolitical adversary. Then at the second tier, you've also got Iran, you've got North Korea, you've got uh, terrorist groups worldwide more generally. But the primary focus of all that defense spending has been to equip ourselves to deal with a belligerent Russia. In the last year and a half, Russia has put that belligerence on full display. They attacked one of their neighbors unprovoked, and they are in the process of grinding down their own military. Now, one of the things about this, when we were spending all of those hundreds of billions of dollars over the last couple of decades... It was with the assumption that if Russia was going to be stopped, it would be it would require the U.S. to put its own soldiers in harm's way. It would require us to put troops on the front lines. It would require us to be fighting directly against Russia. And in Ukraine, we have not had to do that. So we have not had American soldiers on the ground. We have not had American lives at risk, at least there, there are a handful of Americans who have volunteered to serve in the Ukrainian forces. That's different. I'm talking about regular U.S. military. They have not been at risk. And yet the military machine of our primary geopolitical adversary is getting ground to a pulp. We can continue that if we continue supplying aid to Ukraine. I think that is a worthwhile investment. That's what all those dollars were supposed to be used for in the first place. And so I don't think it should be that controversial that we continue using those dollars in such a way that it actually doesn't risk direct conflict between the U.S. and Russia. So that's my take on this. But there's a bigger picture as well. And that is if we do not continue to try and check this sort of international aggression, we will simply be encouraging further international aggression. China has, for decades, had its eyes on Taiwan. It intends, at some point, to forcibly reintegrate Taiwan with the country of China. And they're just on the lookout for an opportunity to do so. If we had not stepped up to assist Ukraine in fighting against Russia, the message China would have taken away from that is, well, maybe they're not going to step up to defend Taiwan either. Let's go ahead and take it. Similarly, if we stop after a year and a half of providing assistance to Ukraine, 
then China will take from that. Oh, well, maybe there will be initial resistance to our efforts here, but they'll get tired and they will give up and then we'll be able to do what we want to anyway. That also is a horrible message for us to be sending on the international stage. So for for these reasons, I think it's not just wise. I think it's imperative that we continue to support the work that Ukraine is doing in degrading the Russian military. Uh, and anytime Russia wants the bleeding to stop, all they have to do is re- withdraw to their own borders. So, you know, I, again, for people who are concerned about, oh, well, you know, you know, this could last interminably. Well, it sure could, as long as Russia is willing to continue sacrificing its young people and its resources to this absolutely futile fight. Um, well, at least it'll be futile if people continue to resist. I mean, if, if Europe or the United States uh, ends up giving up their assistance, then maybe maybe Russia actually prevails in this ultimately. Um, but uh, but I, I really I, I think that we need to be doing whatever we can to avoid that kind of an outcome. I want to also throw out some numbers. We had a caller in the last hour who did not realize that European countries were stepping up to help Ukraine. He was under the impression that the U.S. was the primary uh, nation that was providing assistance to Ukraine and that nobody else was carrying their weight. I've got some raw numbers to share. Okay, I pointed out that the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, these were countries that spent decades under Moscow's rule. They were forcibly uh, impressed into the Soviet Union. They did not want to be part of the Soviet Union. They lived the tyranny of Russian rule for decades. And once they got free, the very first thing they wanted to do was to join NATO. So they never had to worry about that again. These are not large countries. They have limited resources. And so the terms I'm going to use here are all in terms of gross domestic product. In other words, what percentage of your economy is your nation spending to assist Ukraine? For basis of comparison, the United States over the last year and a half has devoted roughly one third of one percent of its economic resources to assisting Ukraine. That is 0.33 percent of our gross domestic product. Estonia has devoted 1.26, one and a quarter percent of its economy they've devoted to assisting Ukraine. Why? Because Estonia knows if Ukraine loses this war, the Baltics are the next target for Russia. Latvia has spent more than a percent of its GDP. Lithuania has spent just shy of a percent of its GDP. So in terms of the relative cost to these countries, they're spending three and close to four times as much of their national resources on helping Ukraine than the United States is. Poland is spending more than double of its national resources, 0.68% of its GDP. Slovakia is spending 0.63%. Denmark is spending a half percent of its GDP. Norway, roughly a half percent of its GDP. Finland, 0.44% of its GDP. The United Kingdom is spending even more of its GDP than the United States. The U.S. is at 0.33%. The United Kingdom is at 0.37%. So anyone who says that the U.S. is the only country out there sacrificing, trying to assist Ukraine in its fight against Russian imperialism, 
They don't know the facts. I've just provided the facts. Let's go to Les. Les is on the line. Thank you for, for being patient and waiting. Uh, what do you have to say about this, Les? I think you're a crazy man, Dave. Okay, I've been called worse. I, I know. I, I don't know. Yes, I know. I don't know where you're getting a, a lot of this information about Ukraine, Russia, NATO, uh, uh, America. Um, the Kiel Institute for the World Economy. It's this. This is uh, uh, mainstream propaganda. A lot of it. Russia's not the same. You're, you're living like two decades ago. Russia is not the same as it was after 1991-93. It is completely Wait, so, changed. So, so you're, saying, you're saying that Putin has not expressly said in publicized speeches that his goal is to remake the Russian Empire? Is, is to, to uh, go to the Doppner River, which has always been Russia. For three or four hundred years it's been Russia. Kiev used to be the, the Russian capital of russia i know yes it used to be yeah. part of russia the the baltics it, it, also I, used to be part of russia eastern poland used to be part of russia and putin has expressly said like not ambiguous not veiled hints he has expressly said his goal is ultimately to recreate that russian empire that would include the baltics and eastern poland in 2014 and the so-called mandan uh, revolution there was in ukraine a government that was uh, friendly to Russia. The West overturned that government. And several, a couple, two or three uh, provinces of Ukraine voted to get out of the Ukraine, to become independent nations. We don't want anything to do with this. During, from 2014 and, until uh, a year ago, the the Ukrainians have been shelling and killing their own so-called people, and over fourteen thousand people in in the Donbass region were killed by su supposed friendly Ukrainians. The Ukrainian government banned the language of Russia. They have banned political parties. They have they have uh, uh, arrested opposition leadership. Russia is, 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 has asked NATO to quit going to the east. NATO uh, mission ended when the Soviet Union fell in 1991. It ended, but they have been expanding and expanding and expanding. Why is, are there so many military bases of the United States, which has over 100 military bases around the world, so close to Russia. How many they times are, has NATO invaded Russia? NATO invading Russia? How many? How many times? A number. A how number? Many? You know it's zero. I you do. Know I know it's Why zero. How many times has Russia invaded its neighbors? Within the last 20 years. 20 years? Yeah. There, there has been been fighting in all of the, the, the so-called Balkan nations. The, the Georgia the the yeah. euros it invaded georgia it uh -huh. invaded ukraine first uh in what was it 2008 uh you, you know dave that that ukraine is an artificial again in, nation in, in it didn't 2014. exist 80 90 years ago it's an artificial nation just just like uh the, well, the united states is an artificial it's, nation it's an ar artificial nation. I, you could say the united states is an artificial it nation. is it is very artificial the united states has so-called no right to exist 
It can um, be changed. It can be voted. There, be, there are be, plenty uh, of Ukrainians that are out there fighting and dying for their right to exist. So I humbly submit over, that you nor I have any right to suggest that they are in the wrong for choosing to fight for their own country. So uh, anyway, I want to I want to uh, broaden out from this a little bit because what concerns me. Uh, most about what's happened in Israel over the last uh, couple of days is I think that this is part of a larger disturbance in the world order. And and I suspect, although we don't have concrete uh, concrete support for this yet, I suspect that uh, that Russia may have been encouraging um, Hamas to take the actions that it did. We do know that within the last couple of months, Hamas leadership at the invitation of Russia's leadership, uh, went to Moscow and had conversations with them. We don't know cert with any certainty that Russia, um, suggested that they take this kind of an action. Uh, one of the things we do know is that some of the things that Hamas did over the weekend involved, uh, the use of drones to target Israeli facilities and the techniques that were being used um, have only really been evidenced on the battlefield in Ukraine. Um, so Ukraine has developed the ability to uh, use drones in this particular way. Russia has developed the ability to use drones in this particular way. Um, and it is not likely that uh, Hamas fighters would have developed this capability without training. Um, and it is very possible, although clearly not proven, that maybe they were getting this training from Russia. So Russia has an interest in stoking fires throughout the rest of the world because, again, their strategy right now in Ukraine is to outlast the support coming from the United States and from Europe. Um, their goal is to, you know, hold out as long as they can. And if ultimately Europe and the United States get tired of supporting Ukraine, maybe then they can force uh, a peace, a temporary peace, almost certainly, that would allow them to keep the, the territory that they have so far occupied. Um, well, how do you raise the likelihood that Europe and the U.S. are going to get tired of supporting Ukraine. You stoke fires elsewhere so that they're distracted, so that they have to provide resources in other directions in addition to Ukraine or perhaps in lieu of Ukraine. Um, so it may well be that by encouraging Hamas to take these actions against Israel, he was counting on the idea that the U.S. would leap to Israel's aid here and thus distract them from Ukraine. It's possible. We're going to continue talking about this. The phone number here is 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland on the Zimmer Radio Network. We are back. This is Dave Rowland sitting in for Gary Nolan today. Um, I am the Director of Litigation for the Freedom Center of Missouri. That's mofreedom.org for anybody who wants to check out the work that I do when I'm not sitting in for Gary. Uh, we have been talking this morning about um, the way the United States has been going about assisting uh, countries that are dealing with uh, military threats from outside. So we've been talking about Ukraine and their 
uh, efforts to fight back against Russia. We've talked about Israel and the uh, the efforts that they've made in the last several days to fight back against Hamas uh, and potentially Hezbollah. Um, but one of the things that, that I want to put out there, and we talked a little bit about this in the segment before, is that um, I am concerned that um, things are lining up worldwide for even greater uh, conflict. Uh, we've talked about how China has for decades expressly had uh, the intention of bringing Taiwan uh, into the the Chinese nation again. Uh, and I worry that the the current situation worldwide may well be setting them up to take their shot. Um, and I don't know exactly what the consequences of that will be. I know that the United States has previously pledged support to Taiwan. Um, we've even suggested that perhaps we would come in direct military conflict with China uh, if they attempt to annex ta- Taiwan. Um, and, and so it is uncertain whether we would follow through on that, um, on that uh, assertion or whether we would simply let Taiwan hang out to dry. Uh, if, in fact, China decided to, to take action. Part of the reason I'm concerned about this is, unfortunately, um, starting wars is a way that leaders sometimes deflect from other problems that their countries are facing. And right now, China is facing a couple of huge problems, the first of which is its economic situation. Um, China kind of built itself a house of cards economically, with the way that it, it structured itself, with the way it was trying to build infrastructure and modify uh, its own domestic situation. And now that, that house of cards appears to be in the process of collapsing. Um, and so it seems that China may never be in a position to realize the kind of economic prosperity that it had hoped for and been aiming for. Um, this is complicated by the fact that China is a shrinking nation. So I don't know if you've looked at all into birth rates uh, worldwide, but one of the big stories over the last couple of months is people are just now coming to the realization that the fertility rates, um, particularly in Western countries and in Asia, uh, are absolutely abysmal. Um, so they are they are in such a terrible state that countries like China, Japan, South Korea in particular um, are looking at a vast reduction in uh, the the size of their populations over the next few decades. In other words, by the time we reach the late 21st century, we could see the South Korean population at one half of what it currently is. We could see the Japanese population shrink appreciably. We are likely to see the Chinese population shrink dramatically. Um, and once that spiral begins... It will become an incredible economic burden for those societies because they don't have their their societies are built on the idea that you have a young working population that is generating enough um, in terms of economic activity that you can support the older people who are no longer working. But when your average age shifts up close to 60 and you've got a shrinking working age population, there's just not the ability to continue sustaining the older people 
at the level that they've uh, to which they've become accustomed. So this is this is a concern that may lead to drastic outcomes. We're going to continue talking about those outcomes on the other side of this commercial break. If you'd like to call in, the number is 800-529-5572. This is the Gary Nolan show. We are back. This is Dave Rowland. I'm filling in with uh, the filling in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan show. We've been discussing geopolitics today. We've been discussing uh, the extent to which the United States has been providing support to other countries throughout the world and whether they should continue to do so. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Let's go to Tom. Tom, you are on the air with Dave Rowland. Uh, what do you have to say about this? Uh, hello, Dave Rowland. Yeah, I, I agree with you. This war in Ukraine is um, uh, almost the tip of the iceberg. What uh, the bigger the biggest problem I see uh, is that we Americans have forget what we are about. We forget the rights that we enjoy, and um, the people of Ukraine understand it. Uh, the people of Moldova and Georgia and Poland and a lot of people in Russia itself and certainly the people in Taiwan understand what it's what it means to be free and we in America have grown a little lazy and we just think you know well all the world enjoys these rights that we do uh, I mean you think about them and and but I'll tell you what in Russia, they don't uh, because of their tyrannical leadership. They don't enjoy those rights because the Chinese Communist Party, those people, don't enjoy these rights that right. we have in Belarus, in North Korea, uh, in, um, in Iran. They're not enjoying the rights that we enjoy, and so the people in Ukraine want to be free, and they will fight their own battle as they did in 1917, as they they have repeatedly to get free of the imperial Russians and of the the, uh, Communist Party. And and so the fact that we have um, allies, there are people who want to be allied with the free, and we don't understand that there's an ongoing almost eternal war, battle between tyrannical despots and people who want to be free. And Tom, I really appreciate you bringing this perspective to the table. There, There is very much that I agree with you with on this. I think I might have some limits to, to how much I agree. So um, I think that you're right, especially in the 20th century, the United States made it a focus to try and assist free peoples against tyrannical governments, particularly communist governments. I mean, that's that's basically the history of U.S. foreign policy in the 20th century. Um, I think that Gary pointed out in the first hour of the show, and I, I think he was right to point this out, that this also led us into some pretty colossal foreign policy blunders. It led us into... The Korean War, it led us into the Vietnam War, um, and and those wars were not necessarily well-conceived on our part, um, and, and I think it's at least arguable that we shouldn't have gotten involved in either of those situations. Um, what I think, though, and, and this is something that I feel like Gary overlooked when he was talking about it, is even before the United States got involved directly in World War II, when most of the country was still 
isolationists, when they still wanted us to stay out of World War II, we ramped up our industry and were we became what was called the arsenal of democracy. And so even though we were not directly involved, we were not sending our military forces over to fight actively in the wars, we were producing the weapons and the materiel that were being used to fight back against the Nazis, against, uh, you know, those that were trying to impose their will on other nations. And I think that that is something that we can and should be doing in the current circumstance, particularly with with Israel and and Ukraine, you know, not necessarily directly involving ourselves militarily, but providing the resources so that they can defend themselves. Um, I don't think that that presents the same kind of entanglement concerns uh, that that a lot of conservatives and libertarians, I think, quite legitimately have about the risks of, of getting involved in these situations. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you, do you want to disagree with me or yeah. push back? No, I, I, I understand your point, and, and it comes up as it did in Afghanistan and Iraq. People say, what the hell are we doing there? Or why do we care about Ukrainians? Well, yeah, the best alliances are based on shared values, mm-hmm. and, if, and if, if we ditch the Ukrainians now or the Poles or the Balts, um, I, then, I, then the tyrants will be coming. They'll be coming far. That they they yeah. don't just get along. You know? So and so, also, uh, yeah. real real quick, real quick. I want to jump in on this. Yeah. So, um, a lot of my libertarian colleagues do believe like they are strictly isolationist they think really what happens in ukraine or in in europe more generally just is not our concern but then they they stick to their principles on that and they say and that is why we should dramatically cut back our defense budget like we should not be spending 800 billion dollars a year on this we should cut our defense budget back to only what's necessary to actually defend our shores and let everybody else deal with their own concerns um, yeah. I, I understand that perspective. I think it is an, an intellectually defensible and coherent perspective. It just doesn't happen to yeah. be a perspective that I share. Uh, and so I want to, I want to put out there that, that I think that there are legitimate positions to take that would, um, be very different from my own. But, but I, I, know. I, I can, when Bush, the younger, uh, said that he wanted to bring a democracy to all the states of the Middle East. Holy cow. Well, that pulled the rug out from under Egypt, which is a very unstable place. Um, it pulled the rug out of a number of borderline states who were trying to bring it together. You know, just, and look, a lot of people complain. My libertarians, they say, we can't be the policemen of the world. I think they're right. I think, but the fact is, what they, we've never, tried to be. We never wanted to be. We never have been the policemen of the world. But together with our allies and some precious international conventions, the world is a much, much better place now than it was in past centuries. 
Tom, I really appreciate your perspective in calling in. I, I do want to make sure that we get uh, to, to another caller that we've got on the line. But thank you so much for calling in. I, I think that your position is very thoughtful, and I appreciate you for sharing it. Uh, let's go on now to, uh, to Richard, Richard or Rick. Uh, thanks so much for calling in. What do you have to say on this? Well, I want to vote for Tim, uh, Tom for president, number one. Uh, number two, though, I don't know if you guys have seen the television coverage, but in the United States there have been Palestinians that have been protesting, men and women, mm-hmm. in different states. However, if you look at protests in a lot of these other countries, there are no women out there. And that's something that hasn't been observed, I don't think, on the air but we're fighting for everybody's rights and liberties, and unfortunately, women do not get that honor in a lot of these countries. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I have not observed this myself. I don't, I don't know uh, the extent to which there have been women involved in demonstrations. Um, so I, I can't really comment on that. I, I do think that it's a fair point to make that particularly when we're talking about more hardline islamic societies um you know they do tend to be much more repressive in terms of women's rights and that's something that a lot of people will factor in as to the um, relative justness of the causes um you know one of the things i mentioned uh earlier on when i jumped into the show is uh that in israel women are actually part of the compulsory military service um, and so uh, you have a much more egalitarian society in Israel than you would have in uh, the Islamic societies that are uh, countering Israel. So, so I think that that's, that's an interesting point to bring up. Was there anything else you wanted to say on this, Rich? Nope, Rick, or nope. is that it? No, just pay attention to the coverage, and you'll, you'll see it. And I didn't notice it till the other night, and it's pretty odd, but thank okay. you. Well, I'll keep my eye on that. Thanks for calling in. Uh, we're going to go into another commercial break here, but if you would like to call in in this last segment we've got coming up, the number here is 1-800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. We are back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan Show. Uh, we've talked uh, almost the entire show today about geopolitical issues, and um, I expressed some concern a little bit earlier about I see this as potentially um, a doorway to further unrest. I, I talked in particular about uh, the Far Eastern countries and uh, the population issues that they are having. And um, my concern is that when there are major domestic problems at home, especially when you have a tyrannical regime, um, they may try to start problems abroad as a way of distracting the people from the problems that they've got at home. And that that's one of the things that concerns me about China and its ambitions in Taiwan and potentially elsewhere. Um, a lot of people also don't realize that, that China has been in kind of a, a low-grade simmering conflict with India over the shared border between those countries. I don't, I don't know if people were aware. There has been um, conflict between Indian and, and Chinese troops along that border over the last 18 months or so, and it hasn't escalated, but there's nothing that really prevents it from doing so. Um, and, and so these are the kinds of things that I keep an eye on when I watch the news. I'm looking for, um, the sorts of indications that, that maybe there's about to be a further outbreak of unrest elsewhere in the world. Um, I try not to be 
you know, a catastrophist. I'm, I'm actually a very optimistic person at heart. Um, and so, you know, I do not go around predicting uh, doom very frequently. I, I did when I saw um, the initial reports for COVID coming in. I told people up front, I said, look, this is going to be bad. We're looking at um, a disease that could kill easily a million Americans. And ultimately, it did kill about a million Americans. Now, that didn't mean that I supported the extraordinarily flawed policies that ended up getting adopted in reaction to COVID. But I felt like it was important to let people know this is not nothing like this is this is something that people need to be aware of and be prepared for. Um, And so I say all of that to say this. Um, I am concerned enough about the unrest in the world that, as Gary suggested in the very first hour of this show, I think it's so important for people to be prepared to take care of yourselves and take care of your family in the event that things go sideways. I am not predicting that this is likely to happen at any point in the near future, but there is enough going on in the world that it's a reminder that we can't always anticipate when these things happen. What we can do is take reasonable steps so that if and when things do go sideways, we'll be able to protect ourselves. Gary talked about, you know, the things that happen in Israel are a clarion call to Americans that they need to use their Second Amendment rights to make sure that they are armed, that they have a weapon that would pr- allow themselves to protect themselves if they find, uh, if they're confronted with someone who means to do them harm. I think that that may be some pretty good advice. I think it's also important for people to make sure that you've set aside some food and water in the case of an emergency. And it doesn't have to be the kind of unrest that we're seeing in other parts of the world. It can also be uh, a natural disaster. You know, it could be an earthquake or a tornado or some other kind of disaster that ends up impacting your community. And it's just a good idea to have some water and food set aside at least a few days worth for everyone in your household to make sure that if and when you are confronted with those unexpected circumstances, you can take care of yourself, you can take care of your family, and maybe you can take care of the people around you. I think these are important things to keep in mind. Um, We've got a few minutes left in the show. If you'd like to call in, if you feel like I've overlooked something or if you want to disagree with me about something, uh, the number to use is 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. I want to say, you know, as far as, you know, kind of wrapping things up a little bit, um, I feel like, you know, we need to tend to our own garden. I don't know if listeners are familiar with uh, the classic book Candide, but the the idea of Candide is you've got this uh, guy wandering the world and he's got this sidekick named Pangloss who keeps on saying, we live in the best of all possible worlds and horrible things keep on happening. Um, and it kind of culminates with the Lisbon earthquake. And if you're not familiar, the Lisbon earthquake was a horrible catastrophe uh, that, that virtually wiped out the city of, of Lisbon, Portugal, caused untold human suffering. And in trying to figure out how to respond to that suffering, um, Candide kind of summed it up. And he said that his responsibility was to tend his own garden. 
In other words, recognize the things that you can account for, that you can do, and don't focus on the things that you can't address, that you can't prevent or or take care of. Um, I think in the United States, one of the most important things that we can do is be thinking in terms of how we can tend our own garden. I think that that extends um, distinctly into the political sphere. Uh, I think that right now, people all over the country have leaned really hard into political polarization. Um, They've lined themselves up with particular political teams, and that leads to demonizing anybody who is not on your team, anybody who might be perceived as a political opponent. And friends, I got to tell you, that's got to stop. Like, that is a recipe for disaster. Because if and when things do go sideways, we've got to be prepared to band together. And it, it really shouldn't matter whether the person that is in need or facing trouble and needs help has an R or a D beside their name, whether they wear a, a red Make America Great Again hat or whether they're wearing a Joe Biden T-shirt. When it all comes down to it, we're all Americans, we're all Missourians, and we've got to be prepared to help each other instead of fighting against each other. And that's one of the things that I constantly try and urge whenever I have a bully pulpit like this is to remember um, that at heart, we all have uh, some basic values that we share and we should be focusing on those at least as much, and I would argue more, than we focus on the things that divide us. I worry that the political class is so focused on stoking the divisions because that's what helps them get elected that's what gets their team the power that they want that it it actually poisons the discourse that each of us is having in our own communities and so um as i am wrapping up my time here hosting the show today i'm just going to encourage people once again to remember that um our neighbors are not our opponents that we need to be prepared to look after each other if we face a crisis like they're facing in Israel right now, if we're facing a crisis like they're facing um, in Afghanistan where they just had a huge earthquake or earlier it was Morocco that was dealing with an earthquake, um, you know, be charitable towards each other. Be prepared to help yourself, help your family and help the people around you because that's what makes America great. It is that shared understanding that working together without the government's help, without the government's interference, we can take care of each other far better um, than than we could if we were all trying to uh, depend on somebody else to come to our aid. So uh, as we're wrapping up the show today, that's going to be my encouragement. Pay attention to the news. Don't stick to your own political silo look for additional sources and above all be prepared to look after yourself and your family and the people around you this is dave roland signing off for gary roll gary nolan on the zimmer radio network